this right here is on the Matter of Systems, the tabletop role-playing show where every month your hosts will critically engage with some RPG theory and some RPG design. It's a point one. That means you you get you get me. You get, <laughs> you get me. I'm your host, B. Hello. Hi. Hi. I'm joined. Oh my god. Where did that come from? <laughs> Hello. You're Whoa. joined by me. I'm BW. Oh I'm my the god. other host. <laughs> It's 8.1. We're fucking throwing the rules out the window. I talk. I, I didn't say your name. I you know. said your name. What's I'm happening? Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, today, we're going to talk about Thread, uh, a, a subject that BW here is, is very knowledgeable and passionate about. But last time, we read Dogs in the Vineyard by D. Vincent Baker, um, a game that we both took very strong stances on and came out pretty high on. Um, and and since we did that, I pulled out one of the, the things I've had on the back burner for a little while. You know, this is a second to last theory episode of the season, so we only got one more to go. And I was like, which of these like three or four things that I've been juggling should we go for? And I was like, yeah, let's we did the D. Vincent Baker, let's 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 touch base with McGay Baker. Uh, so we read Follow the Thread, a world building guide. Um, on her blog. Uh, it's just on Lumpley Games, isn't it? Yes, it's on Lumpley Games. It's a, a four-part uh, article about about thread and world building. Uh, McGay Baker um, is probably most famous for working with D. Vincent Baker on games like Apocalypse World and Firebrands. Um, we've talked about all this uh, many times. Um, McGay was also sort of active in the Forge. Um, has uh, is, is married to D. Vincent Baker. They have kids. They I believe they call them like the Baker Band or something like that. Oh, that's um, very that's very cute. <laughs> I didn't know that. It's it's something along those lines. Baker and Band are definitely in there. I feel like there's a third word or something like that. But that's the, when they refer to like like who play tests their games and like who they play games with. It's it's like a mixture of their kids and some neighbors. Um, McGay, I believe, is a a, a a sex educator for a long time. Is some sort of uh, like works at a at a museum based on thread. I think you said that last time, right? BW, do you remember what that is? Uh, yeah. So uh, so she. Uh, she works at a museum that is focused on, yeah, like fiber and, and thread and the history of that stuff and how it's been used. So she does like, it looks like from when I used to follow her, she does um, like some archival work, like actually like restoration and stuff and then mm-hmm. preservation and history and things like that. So she's literally an expert in this. Um, Correct. Oh, in, yeah, in like 100%. literally every possible oh, yeah. way. <laughs> um, Correct. A- absolutely. Uh, <laughs> she is. She knows so 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 much about the history of this, which is a which is a thing that I I think is cool about this, and also is a thing worth worth knowing <laughs> going into these posts, right? Yes. Uh, like this is she she is very very knowledgeable about this entire area. Like it's very kind of you to say that I'm knowledgeable about thread. I have <laughs> nothing. I have, I have very little uh, information uh, compared to her. But yeah, uh, yeah, she like works in a museum doing doing like preservation and focusing on fiber it's very cool yeah and she has like a a little label called night sky games where she publishes some stuff or or did and and like i I don't know the other things that i know about her like she she ran a blog uh sort of social platform called fair play uh with emily care boss for like five or six years it's it's a fun little archive uh, dive. Uh, if you ever, if you ever feel like reading the th- the Forge, but maybe not reading the Forge, you know what I mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that was like 2005 to 2011, and, and there's like a lot of overlap. Like you'll you'll see Ron and and Vincent and and it's others in the in the comments on a lot of those things. 
I don't think that's where Emily Kerboss came up with Bleed, but I think it was a lot of like her early work on Bleed happened in that um, yeah, in that cool. blog and in the Forge and other places. We've mentioned Bleed a couple times. Have we ever just quickly said what Bleed is? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, Bleed is a concept developed by Emily Carboss, um, primarily from playing in and observing uh, LARPs, I think, more so than, than tabletop RPGs. Um, but it has has been sort of uh, a very useful tool for a lot of people to understand. Um, there's, there's basically two fundamental kinds of bleed. Uh, bleed in and bleed out is sometimes how they're referred to, but it's basically when emotions go like come from the person like a person being emotional affects their play or when play affects a person's emotions in a and it's not necessarily a negative way although that's how it often gets talked about so the idea of like you know if your uh if your pc dies in a game and you go out and like punch a wall in the real world or or you know if you have an encounter with somebody that's a little amorous in the game and you start developing feelings for that person despite you both being mediated by characters um there's there's you know a million ways this can apply um it's an extremely useful tool and i'm sure we're going to be talking about it at some point anyway um mcgay baker all around seemingly extremely cool person very smart and knowledgeable about specifically these things and also a lot of other things like i said like uh, I think it's it, it has been attributed to her like the reason that the sex moves in Apocalypse World work at all <laughs> is like it basically entirely her um, like her knowledge and and her input. There's a there's an aside in one of these posts. It's like a very quick mention that I liked where she she says something along the lines of like, and I I was like in charge of damage for a long time when we would make games because I had experience as an EMT. <laughs> uh, right. Yes. And I it, I was just like, geez, you're so cool. You just know uh-huh. so much about so many things. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's very, very impressive. Yeah. Um, so all that said, let's, uh, should we, what's, uh, what's the broad argument here, BW? No, I'm not going to tell <laughs> you that. Um, so the, the very, very, very high level broad argument, which is where I'll start, right, is mm-hmm. sort of what it just says in the title. It's a it's a guide to world building. It's the, the poster, um, McGay sort of presenting a case for how one might approach world building. And I have more to say, and I'll do a better summary. But I actually thought we should just start with like, what is world building? Hey, what's world building? Like, what do we mean by world building? What do we think about world building? What is like our experience with world building? It's complicated. Yeah, and I said this to I said the thing I'm about to say to you, not on the pod. Um, and I, I really you do like talk otherwise sometimes. Well, <laughs> let's not stretch it. Um, uh, yeah. So like I do, I said to you, I don't think of you as a person who like who likes world building. I think of you as a person who actually kind of hates it or is like mm-hmm. against it. And mm-hmm. um, I I realized in your response, like, oh, actually, I was sort of conflating two things because what you said was like, well, I really, I mean, I hate lore. I don't like yes. lore. And I was like, oh, that's a very useful distinction that I just hadn't thought of, really, right? I'd kind of conflated yeah. them in my head. So I'm I'm curious, because you are the person who helped me think about this distinction, what what sort of at a high level that distinction is for you? Um, at a high level is a, is a hard one to answer. Um, lore is the shit that's all, that's just like everywhere. And lore is a wiki. <laughs> and world building is a table setting. Does that help at all? 
I, no, I think so. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that's, that's where I've landed to is something, I, I don't know if I would have used that exact language, right? But like, yeah. I, that's the exact distinction of like, lore is, is like, a bunch of facts about a world whereas world building is more like how do, how is the world constructed <laughs> and like what are yes. the moving pieces of the world yes where like with lore it's i think of i mean the game i think of with lore is is destiny the video game destiny sure. absolutely right? yes. where like i tried playing the first one i'm very bad at first person shooters but it was fun you get to like float in space i finally figured out the warlock jump and i was like ooh, okay now i get this this is fun yeah, yeah. feels good but the like the the world didn't feel like a world. It felt like a bunch of proper nouns just shoved together. Yes, and hundred percent. Yes. Some some people were like really super into that, which is cool. Yeah. But I was I I just found it like I wanted somebody else to do the work of pulling those pieces together for me, <laughs> right? Which is what I think of as world building, right? Which is it's not just all the individual pieces. It's how does this fit together and actually turn into something that's like quote unquote living or whatever. Yeah. Um, um, to to use another example, right? Like um, like friends at the table, a thing we're both very familiar with, right? I'm I'm sorry, I'm unfamiliar. <laughs> You're like the only person on the planet who has listened to more Friends at the Table than I have, so I will not accept that answer. <laughs> I, listen, I do listen to quite a lot of Friends at the Table, it's true. Uh, I'm currently in a song for re-listen, it's great. <laughs> um, for me, the lore in Friends at the Table is the descriptions, right? The episode descriptions where mm-hmm. they yeah. they throw together a bunch of proper nouns, They tell they do tell stories with those things, but they're disconnected stories that just sort of like... Again, they help flesh out the world, but in such a way that it's just like, here's a bit of knowledge over here that you can engage with or not. Whereas like things like the actual systems or the or the world building of that and 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 the prep is the world building. It's the way it's the way that, yeah, when Austin puts a clock on screen, for instance, the world is coming together in such a way that it is it is being built, if that makes sense at all. Maybe that one got a little bit away from me. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that uh, I think that that one makes sense, at least to me, in like a uh, resonancy kind of way, if that makes yeah. sense. Okay. Yeah, like I uh, so when I think of world building, I tend to think of like I go back to when I used to read fantasy a lot. Sure. One of the things I struggled with was like I actually really like. I tend to like long things. I like big, long books. I like long movies. Uh, mm-hmm. I like to sink into a thing, right? And like have and have there be a lot for me to like think about or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did, I, I found I was very picky in a way that when I was younger, I couldn't articulate at all. Where like sometimes I would pick up a big fantasy novel and be like, I, why is this not clicking, right? Like it's doing the same stuff. It's, I think now looking back, the things I I was drawn to were ones where it felt like, like you said, right? You were, you're, you're pulling them together <laughs> into a world. You're not just listing off a bunch of names, right? Yes. <laughs> and like, I, it, it, I don't know if everyone who listens to this, who even knows who listens to this, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if everyone who listens to this will listen to Friends at the Table. But uh, like, I think your example with Friends at the Table is exactly right, right? Which is, there are these very long show notes, especially in the recent episodes, which are like, here are different names of factions, here are different names of people. And like you said, there's some information in there. On Friends at the Table, like the world building is actually, I think, in the play, right? There's a lot of prep that Austin does, but a lot of it is like moving things around and taking those pieces and then actually putting them together and making sense of what that means. And yeah, like, 
I have realized, I think, while thinking about this stuff, that I just don't actually want to build worlds. Like, this is actually just mm. a thing I'm not interested in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm very interested in being a consumer of built worlds. Is, uh-huh. is And, like, uh, I mean, a critic is too strong, right? But, like, a person who takes in built worlds and has thoughts and thinks about them and, like, really appreciates the craft or whatever. But yeah. I, I had this thought last night as I was, like, re-skimming some of these. And I was like, oh, I just really don't want to do this. Like, this sounds... Yeah. Like pretty unpleasant to me, um, <laughs> which I say because of your, yeah, I figured you ha- would have a similar thing. And then I wanted to lead you up to, but you've done this. <laughs> you've done it. You've tried to do this, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> How'd that go? I sure have. Um, yeah. To, to back it up a little bit, even more, right? Like I, I am I'm a person who's run a fucking... 100 200 sessions of of role-playing games probably maybe more at this point um and i've always been a pretty pretty prep light person um so i think there is an important distinction between just prep and world building that has to be sort of kept in mind uh and and dogs in the vineyard was was an interesting thing to think about with that because that's maybe the most built world game i've ever played (laughs) i think that setting is extremely clear yeah um and even so the time i prepped to play that game felt more like world building because i was bringing together like these disparate things or even in this established setting but the most recent and and biggest example of of world building i did was um i've talked about this you know every other episode but i also have an actual play podcast called island meter we started at you know mid 2020 uh lockdown gave me an excuse to do the thing I had been wanting to do forever, which was just to, like, have an open call to just have friends who like playing role-playing games, uh, just play them over over Discord, and I would just record it and edit it and put it out. We did that for a few months. End of the year, end of 2020 came around. We released all of them. Uh, Those are all still available. They're very fun. And then I got this fucking stick up my ass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the stick called world building and i decided that i was going to take these what was it 12 games that we played they were Sounds all right. one shots um one of them took two se- two sessions but um you know multiple solo games uh just completely rotating cast like not i was the only person who was in every recording and i was going to to take all of these pieces and fit them together into a singular setting and sort of build out a world in which I could run a couple of campaigns. Um, I spent months doing this. Uh, it was very, it was a very fun process for me. Um, partially because I was just, you know, getting to work with these recordings of, of me and my friends having a good time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, as like, a, as, as, as the grist, as it were. Um, and partially because I, I do... I think there is something in world building to me that is like it, there's a there's a problem solving aspect to it that doesn't that is more complex than just like here's a puzzle to solve right that and I I can I can enjoy that process sometimes it's, it's sort of similar to like you know I've done I've done a lot of writing in my past not a ton of fiction but even like critical writing like sometimes you just like want to sit with the thing and be like these are some facts how do these fit together? Or these are some these are some facts and a conjecture that I have. D- d- can can these all fit into the same uh, you know sphere that I can then turn into language to conv- convey to other people? Um, that part of it I really liked. The part of it where I had to like them, um, then like run a bunch of 
games and, and figure out <laughs> like how to um, implement all that uh, when, when my life and the world are all on fire in like the wrong way. Um, that part was a little harder. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, like it's interesting because like the, the fiction thing is the other thing I was thinking about too, which is I, I've just, so like I, I, I enjoy writing. I used to write quite a lot of poetry that I never did anything with. And mm-hmm. I used to write like music criticism stuff and I fucking studied philosophy for too many years. So I wrote uh-huh. a shit ton then. And I, I love writing. I genuinely like writing. I've, I've been finding more and more that that is actually the most comfortable way for me to express my thoughts because I tend to think in really big chunks of text. It's just the way my brain tends to work, but I don't, I like actively do not enjoy writing fiction. I find it really, I find it really like, I don't know, just like uncomfortable. And mostly I, I'm like, I don't, I like reading really good fiction. I do like, I've struggled with it. I've said that on this podcast, but like when I, when I find fiction, I really like, I'm like really excited about it. Rachel Cusk is like one of my favorite fiction writers of all time. I'm obsessed with her trilogy, but like, yeah, I just don't, I don't have the desire to put all the pieces together. I kind of have the desire to see the pieces and then like think about how they fit together, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which which I found interesting because uh I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start segging into the seg like segging into the uh the <laughs> posts, right? Where like she yeah. says at the beginning, right, that there there are a bunch of ways to do world building, right? This is like the second paragraph. One of them is kind of what you said of like thinking about like here are all these different pieces, how can I kind of make them work, right? This would be like uh, prompt-based world building or even stuff like in a fiasco playset, right? Where like, if you don't know, fiasco is a great tabletop RPG. We'll probably read at some point. And it's pretty like rules and sort of mechanics light for a lot of the play, but there's quite a lot of setup. And a lot of the like fiddly yeah. setup is you're picking things based on dice you roll and you're picking things out of a list. And interestingly, you do most of the picking of the individual things before you officially declare your character. Yes. Uh, which, I don't know, just, I really liked, I'm just going to start talking about what I liked, but like, uh-huh. I really liked in these posts how clear she is that like, what, what McGay Baker is not saying is like, the way you world build is this way, right? Mm-hmm. She's basically saying this is a way of world building, which I found really cool. But like, yeah, so these posts, uh, so there's four of them. Um, so follow the thread, a world building, building guide by McGay Baker. Um, there's, there's four of these posts. And where she starts uh, is that I'm just going to read the very first line. When you are setting out to invent the universe, follow the thread, literally. And so that's like a really good, strong opening. I like the rest of the little first paragraph, right? It's asked a bunch of questions. But basically, the idea is, If you want to build a world, right, you're trying to sort of build a world and you want the world to sort of feel real and holistic and make sense. The method that she is suggesting, I think, is twofold, right? I think there's kind of two arguments here. The one argument, which I see as like a sort of a slightly less forceful argument from her, is a way to do this would be to focus specifically on thread, right? So how is fiber produced? What is involved in that production? What then comes out of that production, right? So that leads you to like, and this is this is how the posts build, right? She starts with thread, and then she starts talking about, okay, but who is doing the work? Okay, well, how do you transport things? What kinds of technologies are involved, right? Like, mm-hmm. it spirals out into all of these things. 
Yes. So that's that's one argument is thread is this very fundamental thing that people don't think about. And if you take thread seriously and you take sort of the production of it seriously and the needs that it's trying to fill seriously, then you're going to get a, a really interesting and rich and holistic world. It's going to prompt you with a bunch of good questions to think about. Yes. And I think the secondary argument for all of these posts is is a less explicitly stated one, but is the one that I find a little more like I think it's really like kind of forceful and compelling and cool, which is a broader statement, which is if you want to make a holistic world, a really good method for building a world like this is to focus on a material need in a community and then focus on how does that community fulfill that need? And like take that seriously and seriously and carefully just like think through and step through the parts of that process, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, listen, I say this like every episode of this stupid podcast but like i just i care so much about like an author being honest with me right and being honest Mm -hmm. with themselves about what they're doing and i just think this is like a perfect and beautiful example of like she is able to make like cool and interesting and strong connections and like i don't there's not like a lot of like claims exactly but there are a lot of claims around fiber and around thread Mm -hmm. and around how this need would be fulfilled and and because the scope is so clear, right? She's not arguing, for instance, this is the only and the best way to world build. I don't get that at any point in any of these posts. No. Um, what she's doing is saying, if you want to build a holistic world, thread is a really, really good thing to start with. And I can show you why it's a good thing. And by doing that, she's also saying, also take taking seriously material needs, right, is yes. just a really good way of understanding what a world needs and how the world runs and what are the pieces you need to define, et cetera. Um, this how, is how's that for like a overall summary? Perfect. This is, I did, I had not had this thought until you mentioned the word material, but like, yeah, this is literally like world building materialism Yeah, mm-hmm. to, to play yeah. off historical materialism, right? Yeah. Like this is the thing that I described as my own process of world building, specifically not materialist, right? It is about um, it is it is in some ways to to you know maybe overstretch this uh, this metaphor, but like the thing I did and the thing you do with pick lists is you you start with a bunch of ideas and the world um, emerges from these ideas. Whether those ideas are some podcasts, they are a list of items, they are uh, you know uh, the backgrounds in Troika, right? Um, sort of you know you build the world out of what you roll from them and the, and these are ideas that then you put into practice and and McGay's argument here is is basically the opposite it's like no 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 to do this right you do this the way you would approach history as a historical materialist right you look at the you look at the base you look at you know what allows people to live and you and you build history out of that and from there because those questions can be answered differently based on, uh, you know, what you're interested in, what, what, which, which piece of thread you want to pluck, basically, you will come up with different outputs as well, which is fucking cool, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, yeah. for that, BW. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. This might happen a lot, but I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read again from the thing, right? Which mm-hmm. is, it's just in the second paragraph. She talks about like world building can can happen in a bunch of ways, right? Uh, But what she says is, 
another way, and this is where she is starting to describe what she's about to present in the next few posts, another way can be starting with whatever basic premise one has and looking at what that implies and filling in the details as you get to them. And I really liked this part. This is play to find out on a world building level. Yeah. Uh, which I just, I mean, I like that. The brand is strong, etc. right? Uh, <laughs> but I just, I like... I think it's a really good and concise statement of the thing that you've just come to, right? Uh, which is, there's a, the play to find out part isn't necessarily like the materialism thing, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I just think she does a really incredible job to me of giving you a lot of like really chunky and good stuff to think alongside and think with that then if you think about it for like a little bit, you kind of go like, Oh, I wonder if this is the thing underlying it. Right. Like I actually, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I have no idea like McGay Baker's politics at all, really? Like, she's pretty lefty from what I can tell on Twitter. But, like, I have no idea. Like, maybe she's a Marxist. Who knows? But, like, that absolutely to me is like, oh, yeah. Like, the case you just made it is exactly correct to me. It's like, <laughs> yeah, this is cool. And she doesn't ever say that. I don't think materialism is in here at all, right? Not my, yeah, not to my recollection. <laughs> and um, and I if usually it, recall that. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, that's a word that tends to stick out to me. But, yeah, so I just really like these posts. This is gonna be this is gonna be very uh, a very effusive episode, probably. Yeah, in case you haven't twigged on yet, listener. Yeah. Um, this is basically an episode in which I was like, "BW, we're gonna do the thing. We're gonna talk about some stuff, and and I'll say words, but this is your episode." Sure. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I mean, l- let's just start going through the posts then, because the yeah. where she starts is the stuff we talked about, kind of right, which is why I went back to it is she's she sort of says at the beginning the things we've just said about there's a bunch of different ways to do this etc and then she pretty quickly just goes like okay so what's one of the first questions about thread well thread is spun so your characters should probably know something about spinning right yep. who and then who does that right in terms of historical information uh women spun a lot queens spun a lot she says right so like mm-hmm. The, the thing that I think is cool about about this is that she talks about in this paragraph, like it starts with basically in your pre-1700 tech level world. And I, when I first read that, I was like, okay, that's a, like a pretty specific, <laughs> you know, and it, 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 this was the first point where I was like, oh, that's interesting. How? So she's like really leaning on history, which is cool, but that's like a really specific knowledge set, right? But then the very next thing that happens is she uh, excerpts a, a back and forth on Twitter between herself and somebody named Roland Bush- Boschnack. In which Roland Boschnack's like, well, what about troll bristles? As mm-hmm. in, like, that's the thing we're going to pick and we need to make troll cloth or troll thread out of it, right? Troll tunics. Uh, troll yeah, tunics. Et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it, what follows is basically a, a page and a half-ish, mm-hmm. a, a pretty long back and forth, right, of McGay walking this person through, how, how would you apply this method, right? So let's say we start with the idea of troll bristles. Okay, great. And then I'm just going to read some stuff, right? Her first questions are like, okay, as they fall or are they brushed from the troll? Do they need processing? Do they need to be soaked? Do you need to pound them, right? How often does a troll shed, right? Is this an active Mm -hmm. process? Is this like a gathering process? And like, it was just so cool watching this because she asks good questions and Roland comes back each time and is like, oh, okay. Well, uh-huh. so what about this? And what about this? What about this? And so, okay, and then blah, blah, blah. And then McGay comes in and is like, great. Okay, cool. Uh, so, like, you've answered some really good questions about, like, how where, how we keep the trolls, how we gather the stuff. Now it's like, okay, but is so is this like your, is this your staple crop 
for fiber or is this right like is this silk is this like luxurious and and like incredibly rare um and i don't we don't need to go through all of all of this thing right but yeah i was really but we, take, but we could <laughs> we could right but like the thing that i found so cool about this is like again i understand like this is like she's talking to people who care about tabletop rpgs but also my first thought was when I just saw troll bristles <laughs> the first time I read this, my first thought was genuinely like, well, I, if I was writing something about how thread is like fundamental and somebody just said troll bristles, like uh-huh. just because <laughs> my brain is this way, I would be like, well, okay, what do you, are you trying to like stump me? What's happening here? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like, she just, I mean, I, I haven't gone back and seen the actual Twitter back and forth, but like she just dives in and is like, okay, let's take this seriously. Cool. Let's, let's apply the method. Right. Yeah. And I just uh, like pedagogically, I think it's really impressive. Like yeah. just in terms of like being generous about sort of your knowledge and also like sharing a method you've come up with. It just, it felt very, cool to read it was super collaborative and like they get to the end right and the the very last thing roland says is like yeah wow okay you're absolutely right thinking on the implications of textiles really does help with world building and the reason he got there is because it's like in just this page and a half or so he's starting to be like oh okay yeah and i guess this also then i need to think about the weather right like if -hmm. it's too much work to actually turn the troll bristles into something then like why would we even make it and mckay's like well because what about the sun what about snow right right like Uh what about bugs and i just it's just a it's just a very it's just a very impressive sort of like public thinking public collectively thinking through a method thinking through process I, i just i found it really really cool and so early on to just have her be like, let me just show you how this works. (laughs) That is is exactly where I was going to jump in. Like, this is the thing. This is five paragraphs in. And it's like, this is, this is, you know, I don't, I'm not looking at your PDF just, but like at the blog post, like this is, you know, this is just under the cut for like my monitor. Right. And I, as as in, I have to scroll down to get to it, but like scroll down once. It is, it is so impressive that she is able to set up her premise make it very clear what she's doing and then jump into like an example. And then a conversation that elucidates everything that she is going to talk about in, in such a, in such a rapid way. And such, like you said, like in a way that feels extremely like engaged and generous. Yeah. Um, And it, it just kicks, it's just good fucking writing. Like I I was like structurally impressed by this fucking (laughs) series of blog posts as much as anything else. 100%. Damn. Yeah. And then she follows up, right? She follows up the excerpt with two next paragraphs, which just immediately then broaden the scope even wider, right? Which is like, uh, she talks about a a few different things in here, but the, the, the primary point she's bringing up to me in these next two paragraphs are like, here's another thing to think about is like what lasts, right? Like mm-hmm. th- thread is like incredibly consistent in terms of like people needed to make fiber, people needed clothing, etc. And people needed to, you know, connect things together, etc. Mm-hmm. Do we actually see that? What gets kept? What doesn't, right? Because thread can go, can sort of disappear. There's this line she says, uh, yeah, carving is also right there. Yep. But like, 
But like we often forget that the Stone Age was also the Wood Age because stone persists where wood does not, we must imagine every carved stone thing surrounded culturally, if not physically, by string and wood and low-fired clay not meant to endure. And I just was like immediately struck by this because like it's it's so clearly, it's a very confident and like straightforward statement of like, this is a thing that you should absolutely pay attention to. But I take away from this sort of a secondary point, which is what she's saying is, if we follow the thread that I started around thread, this is where we end up. And the point isn't, okay, now you need to talk about low-fired clay. Now you need to talk about wood, right? Like, it's really right. about thinking, this is a model for what lasts and what doesn't last and why might it last, right? And what could it be used for? And so then she goes on and she talks about some things about ways people used to record things and how some of those things last and some of those don't. Um, it's just, it's like such a strong start. It's wild. Yes. And, and again, this is like, this is another move that she does. It is that she does you know, repeatedly throughout this, but like she immediately goes from like, you know, we forget that the Stone Age was the, was also the Wood Age because stone persists where wood does not. And then immediately afterwards, she's like, here's a link to this article about carefully coded string and how things are recorded. And she makes a point to, like, shout out Dr. Sabine Highland, a PhD, who has been doing this stuff for 20 years or whatever, who has been, like, researching this for 20 years. But the article is mostly about this dude who, like, did some shit, like, like learned some shit quickly yeah and so like she is explicitly engaging in not just saying like follow the material history like the history of materials um and you can build a world you you have to think about the things that are lost and think things that are lost are not just lost because uh, time and entropy they're lost because of actions people take as well and, and yeah. choices people make and and the and structural inequalities and, and it's just like you motherfucker yeah like, you are just hitting it. Like, every fucking cylinder is just engaged yeah. immediately. Like, it's, rude. <laughs> yeah, it's very impressive. The And, like, the... I was really struck by the low-fired clay stuff, because I... Uh, right, I'm a potter. I haven't, I haven't touched clay for over a year, but... Um, I've You know, I make, I make pots. I make ceramics. And yeah, the thing do, that... You do clay. The thing that immediately jumped out here is, is the low-fired stuff, which is... There's a lot of technical things around low and high fire but the very basic understanding of low and high fire is exactly what it sounds like right <laughs> low fire clay uses lower temperatures high fire clay uses much higher temperatures right mm -hmm. um and that like i know this stuff which is why like this is such an interesting example to me um because i sort of pull out of that a bunch of different things that other people might not right so like mm -hmm. one of the things about low fired clay is it's less vitrified meaning it is more porous so the higher you fire ceramics, the higher you find fire clay, especially clay that's glazed, the more impervious it's going to be. So like the reason why, for instance, porcelain is used for like toilets and sinks is because when you fire porcelain to an incredibly high temperature, but even if you do it to a sort of like medium-ish temperatures, it just becomes more vitrified and more sort of solid, right? And mm -hmm. this matters for, like, usage, right? A mm -hmm. low-fire clay is going to take in mm -hmm. water. So, like, yeah. your pot is going to actually take stuff in. You know what that also means? If you're using it to store things and it gets moldy, you just have a moldy pot now. 
Yep. It's just full of mold because the spores are in the clay, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not tight enough. It wasn't fired high enough, et cetera. Um, which again, to me was like a really cool, ex a cool example of how the, the method kind of works, right? Which is, mm -hmm. it's the part I mentioned earlier, like McGay knows so much about fiber, right? And the history of fiber and the history of textiles and the history of clothing and how those things sort of interlink with each other. And the the cool part of this method is that I feel like you can swap in lots of different pieces of information, right? Mm -hmm. So like, the even if you use the exact same method, even if you started from thread, if what you do is you sort of take seriously, like, I'm going to look at this next thing and this next question, even if you just answer the stuff that you know more about, right? Or like you follow the inspiration or the research that you find most interesting, I just have faith given... We haven't gone through the rest of these posts, but like given all of this, I just have faith that the method would work because yes. the method is in some ways pretty simple, right? Which is ask some questions, try and answer those questions seriously, and then see what new questions come up, essentially. And I just, I, I don't know if this point makes sense, but I was really struck by like how even the related things suddenly were like, oh, but this could just be an entirely new avenue, to think about this and to just apply the same method again. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, yeah, like you said, that is, that is the clay and the wood in the, in those, that example, like are, both are extremely like, I don't know shit about clay or wood or thread, frankly. Um, so like none of this like hit, hits me, I think in the exact same way as you it's, but the, the, the thing that does is the method. Yeah. Is the, like is the materialism at, at, at hand here. It, it's also that like, how the fuck have I never read anything like this before? Y yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a real part of me that wondered how much of this is just McGay and how much of this might also be like, it, I have not interacted or intersected much with sort of other humanities writing, for instance, right? So like, I know mm -hmm. philosophy. I know especially analytic philosophy. I know how that knowledge gets produced. I know how those papers get put together. I know the recommendations on style and all of that. And part right. of me was just like, is this just like, is this maybe something around sort of like historical work? And it because it, it really is just laid out really well. And so part of me was just wondering, like, how much of this is also just method that I'm not aware of in terms of history, as opposed to just McGay being incredibly good at this. I'm not discounting yeah. that. She's just very good at, she's very good clearly at writing this way. But I, I was struck very much, like you said, about like just the structure of the actual writing and the prose and the way the information is laid out. Um, it really, it was very impressive. Yeah, I, I just, yeah, I feel like, I mean, I'm, I'm no expert in the field, right? I do these, I, you know, the reason I choose the theory stuff is because I, I'm a little more engaged with that side of things than you are most of the time. And it's just like, I think you're right. Like, there is a party that's like, I wonder if this is just, uh, you know, on some level, maybe this is just like a conversation that's been happening in this scene that I just missed, or like... If there's, you know, if there's a long history of making this, like, the broad argument here, and then McGay is just making it extremely well, um, and I, I just don't know that, but, like, who, who in the world <laughs> is, is more primed than me for fucking, like, materialist world-building arguments? Yeah, no, like, no, I, nobody. Yeah. I can think of literally no one, actually. Um... um yeah. Anyway, that's sorry. That just a passing thought. I yeah. guess. It's, yeah. It's it's 
good. This is a good thing. It this is. is a really good thing. <laughs> uh, so, so the the last bit then in post one, it's it's McGay kind of going like, okay, what's next, right? So we've talked about thread. Where does that lead us next? And so the very next next thing is clothing. So, uh, and she makes a bunch of really good points in here. Um, I think this section is really interesting. I, I think for me, the two things to highlight are one, uh, the point she makes about how making clothes is very hard, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like sewing in particular is very hard. One of my favorite facts about clothing is that for the most part, there's a lot of now parts of the production of clothing, right? So she does a really cool thing uh, here and she does it later as well, sort of stepping through all of the process, right? So like, uh, you you know you you harvest the the flax and you turn it into linen and here are all the steps right you gotta pound it and process it and spin it and then weave it and then sew it together. We have been able to as as humans figure out a lot of the parts from sort of the beginning to the weaving like through the weaving to help automate that stuff. So, like, the jacquard loom is very famous. It was, the jacquard loom was an automated loom, used punch cards at first. It, like, helped develop the first computers. And basically what you did was you you t- you told the machine, like, hey, weave in these particular ways, right? So, so make the warp move in these ways and make the weft move in these ways. But the thing I love about clothing is that, like, even literally right now today in 2023, you get that fabric off the loom, and then what you need to do is cut it and very carefully sew it to put it together. And mm-hmm. my understanding is still that for the most part, 95% of clothing in the world still just involves a human sitting down at a sewing machine, sometimes very large ones, mm-hmm. and putting clothing together, <laughs> like mm-hmm. physically putting fabric together. And I sent you... Um, an article from The Wired, I think, or from Wired Magazine, like a few years ago, a couple years ago, maybe. 2021, yeah. Yeah, so like it's about a robot that is specifically meant for this. It is meant for constructing garments, taking raw fabric, cutting it, and then sewing it together. And the last thing I read about it, I found another update that I didn't link, but I found another update from, I think, last year, or maybe earlier this year, that basically said, they're, it's working, the machines exist, they're in some factories, but like, it's not consistent. Humans are still involved at nearly every step of the process. Like, <laughs> the fabric is constantly getting bunched up because there's all of these small movements, right? That like, you just, once you once you know how to sew, once you know how to weave, there are all these things. It's this way with any craft, right? And like any sort of activity or like a skill. Like there are all these smart movements or these small movements and small decisions that just start to become second nature as you get better at a thing, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And one of the very simplest things about sewing that is incredibly necessary but is also very hard for a robot is just literally changing the pressure on your hands and fingers as you are moving the fabric through the line to be sewn. Because fabric is like, it moves and like, it's not stiff right so and you need it to move when you're sewing it so like this is just one of my favorite things and i love that she she talks about this right which is like putting clothes together is very hard 
and it's a lot of work. Of course, clothing is something worth of value, right? <laughs> like clothing is a good <laughs> thing to in your in your world or in your stories have like be stolen or be an object of, of sort of envy or something to get uh, because it just takes a lot of time and everybody needs to wear something of some sort in most places. So how do you solve that? And I just think this, again, is like a really, it's just a really impressive set of things. Um, and also it let me talk about how like that t-shirt you are wearing was likely in part hand-sewn, which is wild to think about to me in 2023. Um, <laughs> that's my that's my cool thing. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, um, I, my, I wanted to just, you kind of shouted this out already, but the, the short paragraph here, uh, weaving is a whole different thing. Just for goodness sake, please realize that the idea of quote unquote extra clothing is super new. Yeah. So yes, make clothing the focus of your heist stories. This is for, this is the me part of this, right? This is the, this is me really just appreciating that McGay could go down these rabbit holes. Not, not exactly the one you just went down, but like, you know, right before this, you know, there's just a history of like the spinning wheel shows up in the thousands and then 750 years till the spinning jenny arrived. And it's just like, here's this facts, knowledge. And then, it, and then be like, and here's how you apply it to your game. Like, don't worry, yeah. I still got you. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, yeah. And, and, and of course doing that in a way that's like, wait, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would literally have never thought of a clothing heist. Yeah, totally. Like, <laughs> and, and all, with all the history here, I'm thinking this is a fantasy setting probably, but no, no, we're just, we're just robbing, robbing a fucking department store now. Yeah. Um, it's like, damn, it's good. Yeah. And uh, uh, the last part of this section I, I wanted to p- call out, I, I don't have anything other than I, I, I will say, I think, I think people should read this. It's the second to last paragraph, <laughs> but um, it's just this paragraph. Yes. It starts as different parts of the body move in and out of focus for celebration or scandal. Clothing fit adjusts to the social needs. And even just that sentence, I was like, oh, that's a very good point that I just never think about, uh-huh. right? Um, yeah. And then she goes and gives you, like, really specific examples to help you think through, right? Like, uh, if the, this is the next sentence. If the culture you are building wants people to move slowly and keep gestures within the sphere of their face, dress them in slim-fitting skirts and keep their upper arms restricted in some way. And I just, it just keeps going for, like, the next paragraph and a half or whatever right which is like it's exactly what you just said right there's this very specific information and what she's doing is not saying like think she is saying think about how clothing affects bodies right and like movement and what that means about a society and then she's not necessarily saying here are the answers you have to (laughs) you have to come up with but what she is saying is let me show you how i can use my specific knowledge to start answering some of these questions which is just yes. again very impressive, and and this is also the thing that I'm just going to harp on every time it comes up because I didn't think about it until you started talking about this moment, and I was like, oh, this is another. This is also a materialism. Fuck yeah, <laughs> like it's all over. This is it's a all kind, over, baby. It's because what she's talking about isn't you know there's there's a way to approach this thing by saying like um so you were when you were doing world building like think about the fashion right Uh, what do people wear what do people like to wear this is going a step beyond that it's saying that fashion has causes (laughs) yeah (laughs) like cultural causes um that that are, are 
that have to do with, or not exclusively, but have to do with how the culture at this particular moment in time thinks about bodies. And, like, there's the very obvious example, right? Like, you know, like, Victorian women can't show any skin, like, you know, except for their face or whatever, right? Like, that's sort of the, like, extremely easy one that she doesn't even go for, because she's more interesting than that. But, like, we don't think of that as technology very often, like, as a technology of, of control, of uh, of oppression in some ways, or of um, value reflection. Um, and McGay doesn't have to, like, sit down and say all of this in an extremely academic way to get at all of these thoughts in a really, in a really accessible and cool way. And it's, like... I know I'm going to end every time I say anything with this, but, like, it's just incredibly impressive. And I'm like, I, I don't think I realized how much this kicked ass until we started talking. <laughs> and, it, yeah. and I thought it kicked a lot of ass beforehand. Yeah. Um. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, why don't we move on to post two, where I think it gets kick ass in very different and kind of wild ways immediately. <laughs> yes. Um so as a reminder, right? So for post one, what we just said is talk about thread, follow the thread. And she sort of gives some cool examples. She has the troll thing and then she moves into clothes and talks about, you know, so the production of clothes and then what do clothes do and how do clothes uh, work in your society. And then part two is called Babies Washing and Staying Healthy. Babies. Right <laughs> and, off. <laughs> and the, 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 very first, the very first sentence, why is there a section about babies and fertility in an article about thread? And she answers this question very well. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. So, so this this second part is focused on. So at first, it's focused on babies and sort of what, like reproductive labor, sort of more generally, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yep. And yep. then moves into sort of washing and how that affects clothing and how that affects people and some things to consider, and then staying healthy and sort of how those things engage with fiber. I feel like this is a part that you had a lot of thoughts on, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, Because this feels to me like you stuff uh, in a lot of ways. (laughs) Like, I think of you as a person who thinks about things related to this, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is really specific. Reproductive labor is is literally, like, how I came to my politics. Yes. Thinking through that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I don't know that I have a ton to say about this that I haven't we haven't basically already said uh, like I I have a ton to say about this but it would just be quoting the yeah. saying and being like and that leads to the like that the the implications of that are this and like listener you can you you, sh- you should just read this thing like you I, should I, I don't I don't want to just read it to you <laughs> no I, well and I think that's the thing is like there's some really specific stuff in in these sections that I think are are interesting from like a specifically fiber nerd perspective right which we can talk about but to mm-hmm. me the biggest thing about this this part of the the post and and also I guess post three post two and three especially part two and three really feel like they are doing important kind of political work right and political thinking very much in line with the points we've been making this whole time right about like this is a materialist reading of things and a materialist approach in some ways but like there's just some really impressive language in here and thinking and like public thinking about so in babies right basically the the she's she's walking through this line of like okay well so we've already talked about how thread and fabric take a long time and there's quite a lot of work involved. So like 
fertility, birthing, parenting, like all of these things are going to be affected by this, right? And then if you look at history, there's a lot of parts of textile production and fiber production that were considered women's work uh, for parts of it, right? She brings up things like, okay, so let's talk about breastfeeding then, right? So like, what does what does nurse how does nursing play into this if if you need to create these these clo- these pieces of clothing and this fiber like who takes care of children right is this women's work in your world is this everyone's work in your world is this men's work in your world like it these are just all questions right none of the, there there are no right answers here aside from taking seriously some of these needs right and I don't, like like you said, I don't actually know that we need to go through a lot of the details here. I just think it's really well done, like everything we've said, right? Like, I think she asks a lot of really good questions. I think she even does a pretty good job, IMO, of uh, avoiding some of the ways in which a conversation around women's work and babies could go real weird, right? Um, it does not It does not feel gender essentialist to me at all. Exactly. It's like, it's just genuinely... Lovely. It's just uh, lovely. <laughs> to, to repeat ourselves over and over again. It's just really genu- genuinely impressive. And then she moves to washing. And this section I really liked a lot because, yeah. personally, one of the things... Uh, like, the political stuff here is so important to me, <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. thinking about cleanliness and what we call clen- clean now and what we think of as clean versus not clean, Right. There's an entire section in which she talks about, uh, like, smell, right? And, like, what is it to be dirty versus smelly versus clean? Like, think about these things. And she gives a lot of really interesting sort of historical data, right, about, like, this is how we tend people tended to clean things in the past. It's in ways that today we would consider, oh, that's dirty, right? But, like, is it dirty? (laughs) Or is it just that they don't have detergent the way we have detergent, right? Um, oh, and then and I just it's think, also like this, yeah. this history, right? This, this yeah. like this point that like coal smoke shows up in the 1700s, and yeah. that's a whole different fucking deal than like wood smoke. Like that, that is fundamentally different. Um, like the things that are making you dirty do different things, yeah. because mm-hmm. the world is, is has has produced different outcomes. Um, yeah. I think the 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 the, fun, the very fun note is like a parenthetical. Please note, smelly does not equal unwashed. Yeah. If you mean smelly, say smelly. The world before eighteen hundred was absolutely more pungent. It's like yes, yes. This, this was <laughs> this was one of I think Baby BW's genuine first. Like I was probably I think I was in high school when I read something that said something very similar to this, and it genuinely blew my mind. Of like, mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> Of like, of course, it was smellier because we just we try to mask everything possible. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> as people, we're just like we're obsessed with quote clean smelling, right? And it's like, wh- what do we even mean by clean <laughs> in this case, right? Yeah, which is exactly what I think she's trying to push you to think about is like, oh, yeah. what are my assumptions about this stuff? And like, does that actually make sense and hold water? And like, is that how I want my world to? work according to my like weird assumptions based on ideology or whatever and the the like sort of fiber nerd thing that i love about this is one of the one of the things you really run into is actually drying things uh yeah and i think she talks about this more later um when she talks about the city stuff um in part three but this is one of the first places I thought about this. So uh, I buy yarn for weaving tapestry. And one of the places I buy yarn from, if you buy their yarn in like a skein, 
um, which is how like if if you know somebody who's like a knitter, they tend to buy in skeins. It's like, I don't know, it's yarn. It's in like a little bundle and it's twisted and it's all pretty. I don't buy that. I buy it in cones because you can get much more yarn for much cheaper. But one of the places I buy yarn from in order to both spin the yarn So actually, like, take the fiber and turn it into yarn. So it's spun and it actually sticks together. And then also to, like, roll it onto the cones that I buy it on, they coat the yarn in oil, like a neutral vegetable oil, basically. Totally fine. It's like not, it's just a, it's really, it's just lubrication, right? And it's a way for them to use lubrication for something that's natural and not going to be weird. Uh And I wove for probably the first six to eight months of my time weaving tapestry with this yarn and never, I just took it off the cones and wove it, right? And then at some point, one of the the women who I take classes from, one of her sort of update things in a class was like, hey, this is just a reminder to folks who maybe are newer. uh, If you buy this yarn from this company, they're called Harrisville, you want to scour the yarn. And scouring the yarn is really simple. All it is is you take the yarn, you put it in hot water with a little bit of, I use a neutral dish soap, uh, because what you're trying to do is get it, get the oil out. You put the yarn in, you move it around, but it's wool, so you don't want to move it around too much because it'll felt, <laughs> and then it's, you know, it's not mm-hmm. yarn anymore. Um, it's just <laughs> like this big, tough thing. And the very first time I did this, I made a pretty small skein. It's like a, it genuinely, it was a small skein of yarn. And I lifted that thing out of the water and like my arm hurt trying to hold it up and just squeeze it. And this was like not a lot of yarn, (laughs) right? And if you think about this in terms of, you know, people wearing tunics, like this was a skein of yarn as opposed to an entire adult sized full body piece of cloth. (laughs) Like, yeah. it's just a thing people don't think about, right? But it's it ends up being, a like, I think a really interesting problem to solve in your world. Like, are do your people live in big, wide-open spaces in which drying is easy? Do they live really close together? How do they lift these things? How do they lift these things if the people who are doing the work are also having to take care of their baby, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's, uh, th- for me, this is like, this was really cool just because I had this like very personal and like physical experience of like dealing with this problem and this surprise. But again, to me, the thing that's so cool about all of these posts is like, I think if you read through these and you read through them sort of like charitably and generously, like I, I think that what she is doing is showing you that like applying your knowledge in this way, right. About sort of material circumstances, no matter what the thing can help you sort of come to really rich answers to questions, which I think is just very cool. A hundred percent. Yeah. And then she talks about staying healthy. I like this stuff. Uh, I don't have a ton to say about this section, but it <laughs> it's this, I, this is a, I feel like this section gets some, there's some good snark in here, which we should probably yes. like mention that yeah. like, McGay is also very good at being a little snarky. 100%, um, yeah. I feel like we're, you know, doing all the highfalutin praise right now yeah <laughs> but there's also just like like yeah how does your world how does the world you imagine handle large cell epidemics could you maybe help combat this one get your vaccine <laughs> wash your hands wear your mask and maybe learn it from everyone over 60 who has a dime-sized small smallpox vaccine scar just like just in the middle just be like hey hey 
It's a fucking yeah. pandemic happening. Yeah. <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then what I love is that she immediately sort of complicates that point in terms of thinking about world building with the next paragraph, right? Which is mm-hmm. to talk about like, okay, but her mother was born and is allergic to one of the like primary things used to treat infection <laughs> before 1940. So also think about the fact of like, okay, like, yes, they've developed whatever, a, a way to deal with infections, or they developed vaccines, blah, blah, blah. But like, what if people can't, what if people can't take that? Does that mean some people yeah. can't actually access the medical care, right? Like, there, there's mm-hmm. just, I think she just does such a great job of, I mean, we're just repeating ourselves, but she just does such a great job of like bringing up a bunch of really like complicated, interesting questions. Um, and then like you said, yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's like a lot of really good snark. I actually really like the paragraph above which is and for the love of all please leave off the idea that childbirth is somehow especially deadly it's a vulnerable time and things can go very wrong but most of the time it works which is a point that i've actually thought about some uh and a thing that's just like constantly in the back of my mind at like a low level of uh thinking like i just have a weird relationship with the medical profession i guess uh so i'm constantly thinking Uh about them but like thinking about Mm -hmm. the fact that like there is this there is this thing i grew up hearing the childbirth was like so scary and like yes in our current day and age and even historically this is actually a problem that people figured out like some pretty good solutions for right (laughs) like (laughs) um and so again like the way she just kind of is encouraging you to ask a bunch of questions but then not settle for the first answer or not settle for the obvious yes. answer, right? And like, yes. really- that's it, that's it exactly. Like really take seriously these questions and then go, okay, I'm building a world here. I, it, it is interesting to answer the question the way it is done in the real world, right? But I can actually then find a different answer or theorize a different answer or whatever. Um, cool. Or start from a, you know, start, it's the, it's the troll bristles thing, right? Yeah. Like- how that comes off or like i because i agree with you i think if i was in that position i would also be like don't fucking fucking gotcha me i just wrote a fucking thread like (laughs) piss off but like it's the right way to do to illustrate this whole thing right it's just like throw trolls in here yeah Yeah. like set 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 it set this in in 1650 in france but there's trolls that changes if you genuinely do this like this materialist world building you can change everything and not by being like, well, culturally, how do trolls fit in? But by being like, okay, how do they affect this aspect of, you know, the fucking hundred years? Like, you know, that what, what part of the hundred years war is this in such that like, okay, like England's all over at this point. So uh, what are they looking for from these? Like, why do they want this land that these trolls have now? Like it's, I'm doing a bad job, but like saying, um, you don't start from, you start from the trolls because that gets you to a place where you're like, okay, the world is fundamentally different in certain ways that we can see. So we don't have to answer this by reading the history books exactly. We have to answer this with our own knowledge of what, like, what people are eating at this period of time, what, what kind of fibers they have, et, well, et cetera, and, et cetera. Uh, I mean, the thing that's exciting to me is everything you just said and also, right? Like, I, I think I, you've helped me clarify the point I've been trying to make about, like, how you can bring your own knowledge in. And I think the troll example is really cool because if you, if like, let's, let's set aside thread and let's literally just say, th- like, there are trolls in 1642 France, right? Uh, like, you don't actually need to, 
you could just be a fantasy nerd who like knows the tropes of trolls and like even just taking that information seriously and taking it like okay trolls are big they're ungainly well fuck if they're in a city how do so do we corral them do they just get to walk through the city and destroy houses <laughs> right like and and at that point uh-huh. it like that's super exciting to me because you've like you've opened up the method to like you could just pull on like cultural stuff because again her point is ask these questions and then as you answer them really think like does this answer the question that i was asking does this actually solve that problem is this the only way we could solve that problem etc yes um yes which is cool uh very cool okay next post post three so post three does quite a few different things um it, so it's called Part 3, Technology, Agricultural Impact, and Transport. Um, and, you know, I, uh, not to repeat ourselves the entire time, but, like, this is just another really good example of her kind of expanding the argument, right? And going, okay, what are the other things that would be touched on? Um, and so she she talks through technology. The first thing she says is, like, something to make a hole and something to pull through it, right? Um, very simple idea, but... How do how do how do the people in your world do stuff like that? Um, and then she has this section that you had a note on. So there's a paragraph here. Consider some of the oldest clothing known, worn by Otsi in the Copper Age, BCE 3270, when stone tools were giving way to copper tools that would usher in the Bronze Age. And then she goes and gives some like specific stuff around like what Otsi wore and what was in the pouch. Um, and you had some notes on this. I'm curious. I'm curious if you want to chat a little bit about uh, your reading of this. Yeah, so this one, I don't, I don't, this is interesting, because this was, this is a very clarifying moment for me, um, because I don't know shit about this, <laughs> um, sure, and, yeah, and it's sure. interesting that I say that, right, because I, I, I don't know that much about Thread to begin with, um, but for me, this really crystallized something that I think is extremely useful, um, and it's something we have sort of already talked about, right, but it's like, Reading this was the first time, and maybe I'll, I'll go in a little bit deeper, right? Um, specifically, like, he wore a hat, breechcloth, and belt with leggings tied to the belt, knee-length coat held clothes with a second belt, and shoes. In his sewn belt pouch, he carried precious tools, tinder for lighting a fire, antibiotic fungus, and a repair kit consisting of a bone awl for piercing holes in leather and a flint flake for cutting long, narrow strips. Um... And, and and McGay is using this to talk about, like, the technology level uh, it, relative to different... Uh, places in the world but the thing for me was like <laughs> when i read that i was like i can tell that these are all incredibly juicy details i can't taste the juice at all like i don't know why breech wow. cloth and wow. belt with leggings <laughs> tied to the belt is like such a such an evocative thing for somebody like because it isn't for me but like I I I I can tell that it is for somebody, right? Like that that's, that the implications here are are like fascinating in so many different ways. And I was just like, this is so cool. <laughs> um, yeah, it is so cool to just be like to think about this, and I mean this specifically because this is an article about world building, mostly for role playing games, or at least in the context we are reading it, it is it is for role playing games, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just really nice to me to like read that and be like, 
I don't get why I am having this reaction to this thing, which is like, oh, I want to do something with that. But then being like, well, this whole article is basically being like, well, if you're going to do something with it, do it seriously. And like, like you're, you're going to do, you're going to have to do a lot of research if you want to do something with this. And I was just, well, I was so like, that's, that's also cool. <laughs> but so that's the thing I want to push back on a little bit though, right? Is like, I don't think the thing to take away from this is you need to think about Otzi in particular, right? And this yes. is actually why I think this thing is so cool. Cause I had a similar feeling. Like I read through the first part of this that you read and was like okay that's a lot of really specific details i think it's the next part that for me was the more interesting part and i don't think it's interesting for the reason she's trying to bring it up right so right after the the thing you read about the bone all for piercing holes flint flake for cutting long narrow strips the next thing she says is more than the bow and arrows more than the short bladed flint knife uh, more than the very latest thing the copper axe it's the sewing kit and what it means that anchors otzi's technology level I like I I think that's like that's a really interesting point, right? Which is uh if you look at what this person carried like on themselves, right? Closest to them in their sewn belt pouch, we already could tell based on this sewing a belt pouch or sewing a pouch is already just going to be hard, right? We're talking mm-hmm. about cutting strips of leather with a flint flake and using a bone all for piercing holes in leather. Like this is tough work. But the thing that I found interesting is is that she she doesn't actually help you get to the answer. What she more does is say, digging into details like this can give you interesting things to sort of play with. But like, I don't take this as you need to do research as much as it is, again, like taking seriously the questions. And so I totally think that you could do this same thought experiment, but just make up everything about the person, right? Like, make up what they wore. It doesn't need to be historical. But if you take that making up seriously, (laughs) right, then again, like, the material stuff is just going to kind of bump into each other and you're going to end up needing to answer other questions. Um, Which is it's a lot of work is the thing right this this yeah this post to me is the post where it started to become very clear like, oh, this really... (laughs) There is a way in which this method could like drive me completely just like off a deep end, right? Of <laughs> just yes. like I'm yes. already a person who sees things as connected constantly. Like I the reason why it's called on the matter of systems is I tend to think in systems. I think about things as inputs and outputs and how they fit together, etc. Um but like I think everything you said is exactly right. The thing I took away from this is like I got excited because I was like, okay, if I don't know what to do with this, why don't I just ask about a different thing that I know a little more about, (laughs) right? Like, if I don't know about clothing, right? Okay, let me ask about a material need that I know a little more about or something that I just have opinions on, right? Or ideas for. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's always about bringing it back to some sort of material reality and material question, right? Yes. Um, And and I think that's sort of more where I was like thinking of when I said research because like yeah I, ah, I yeah, completely agree I wasn't thinking of researching Otzi I was like thinking of like uh, I just simply don't know like yeah, okay. what a breech cloth and belt with leggings tied to the belt could possibly mean yeah <laughs> um, and so I would have to research like I need to th- I need to think more about clothing is what this made me think like feel that like yeah you know that just raw impulse of like 
fuck, if I knew more about clothing, I could start doing stuff that I simply don't have access to right now. And this is a, not to fucking bring up friends at the table again, but like, that's a thought I've had from friends at the table a million times. For sure. Because like, yeah, yeah. a couple of the players there just like, really know fashion extremely well in historical fashion, especially. And like, uh, and when they talk about stuff, I'm always like, that sounds really cool, but I have a Fantasia and don't know shit about the history of fashion. So like, I'm very happy that y'all are doing this. Not for me though. <laughs> Cause I'm, yeah. I can't yeah, yeah. imagine these clothes. I'm not sitting at a computer. Where I'm going to Google every single fucking thing you say, because these are three hour long podcasts. Um, uh, but like, no, uh, yeah, I'm just but like, I will, yeah, so cool. I will say, do you know about the fat references, Twitter account? Cause I highly recommend the fat references, Twitter account. <laughs> This is also for the listener. I do not. There's a Twitter account. Uh-huh. There's a Twitter account that posts links to the like image references that they use in and, and they don't they, they oh. aren't able to keep up fully. But it is I, I haven't refollowed it since I got back on Twitter, but uh, I keep meaning to find it. It's great. Because of this specific thing, I, I have a similar thing, right? Like there's I I, I said earlier I've been re-listening to Song Fiel, and there's a moment early on where Janine in particular has some comment where she's like, Yeah, I actually like have a lot of images of blah blah blah. And it's some like very obscure and specific thing. <laughs> and it's like, mm-hmm. wow, I barely knew those exist and you are like mm-hmm. not only pulling from this specific thing you are pulling from like subtle differences that you are aware of um yes it's very cool it, it also everything you just said i'm gonna go back to read the last thing that our good friend roland of the troll bristles said which feels very similar to where you've gotten, right? Which is the last message from Roland that's included is, yeah, wow, okay, you're absolutely right. Thinking on the implications of textiles really does help with world building. I'm going to have to write up this village now, dang it. And the thing that's cool here is like, Roland answered some of the questions himself, but like, he was also pulling off of very specific information that McGay was sharing, right? But Mm. to me, the thing that's so cool is like, it's the method. It's the thing we've been saying the whole time, right? Like, the Otzi thing is such a cool example where even if the specific details, like you said, don't necessarily mean anything to you in particular, it's such a clear and good example of, like, this is the thing working, right? Yeah. Um, yes. Which is cool. Um, and there's some there's some other cool stuff. But then she, uh, she talks <laughs> about linen, so there is a section here and it is called follow or the paragraph starts follow one thread linen. Um, so for those who don't know, linen is a, it's a type of cloth, right? Um, so linen is produced from the plant flax. Flax is a plant that can be a little finicky from what I've heard. It can be a little tough to like produce well. Uh, it also takes a long time. She says here it's, you know, around a hundred days basically. Um, this thing is going to grow to four feet tall, right? So this is just another thing that's interesting to think about as like a specific detail. So like, okay, do we have a place where we can grow something that's four feet tall and that doesn't like ruin sight lines that are important or block shade to a different thing, right? And then, so, so it's about four feet tall, right? You either cut it or you pull it out and then you have these big stalks. You have these big, long stalks. You have to let them dry, Right. And she goes through this whole process and uh, brings up all of these specific details. Right. And like 
the two that I want to bring up are are two of the earlier ones. Um, before you even get to like treating the material and then turning like spinning it to turn it into actual thread, the first thing you do is you basically just let a bunch of flax reeds like rot in water for like multiple weeks. And the reason why like this to me is like so cool and interesting to point out is it's stuff that she's talked about, but I don't know that we've necessarily mentioned, but like there are lots of parts of the fiber production process that are really gross, (laughs) like, (laughs) like stinky. And like, think, think about like, if you just like put a, put some plant material in water for multiple weeks and just let it sit there. You then as a human have to put your hands into that water and basically like scrape away the rotting outer layer, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. It's just gross and it probably smells bad. And like, also that's a lot of space that you need. You need a lot of space for water. You need a lot of space for the flax. Here's a thing about making fiber. This is a thing I... I only learned recently when I started weaving and really paying attention to the yarn I was buying. I used to like knit a little bit and I used to crochet a little bit, but I really got into yarn and caring about yarn in the last few years. And one of the very first things I learned that kind of blew my mind was that like, there are people who I follow in the world of tapestry who have very strong opinions about the breed of sheep that they use for the wool that they like best. Because... Mm -hmm different uh like different breeds of sheep the the wool spins up differently so you have for instance some wool where the inner fibers are very short and they break easily which means that it's going to be a less strong thread in the end right it's going to be able to break more you're not going to be able to spin it as tightly things like that it's very similar for even plant materials you have these big long fibers you don't you don't want to like break them like lengthwise so just like again it's four feet tall right and so you mm-hmm. need something that is like four and a half feet wide at least and can hold a bunch of flax and then it's going to sit and rot for multiple weeks oh and then you take it out and you have to dry it and you have to dry it again for like a month so like uh-huh. <laughs> where's that room come from and so we're now what i don't know four months maybe into this process including planting right maybe longer my math is bad uh and we haven't even gotten to like the true 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 hard labor of like taking now the dried out fibers and turning them into something that you can spin which is where i will say hey b i sent you some instagram videos (laughs) uh some reels uh and I'm curious what you thought of those reels. They, they were reels of people working on various fibers, hemp and flax in particular. Um, but do you want to maybe describe what the videos I sent you were? To- yeah. Um, so the first one is is the the flax one, and it's basically just like a step by step of like what you do to prepare flax. I, I'm assuming this is it's so it's like basically like you know you you beat the shit out of it, you scratch the shit out of it, <laughs> you you comb the shit out of it, and then like finally you can uh, start like uh, what is it you you is it a strick is that what it's called? I'm, I'm washing this video again, but I'm not to that point. Um, yes, you s- twist the flax into a strick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then and then from there you can finally get to the part where you can do things like spin it or yeah. uh, 
use it <laughs> in any way. Um, well, and I mean, this is one of the things that's so fascinating to me about fiber is like up until the point it's spun, it's like not super useful. <laughs> like it's mostly just raw <laughs> material that's annoying to deal with. Yeah. And that can be that can be less true. Uh, wool, especially like you could use the wool it's sure. called roving, but it's the unspun stuff. So you could use that for like fill. Right. And wool's a really good insulator. But like especially for something like flax or hemp, what you have is really annoying stuff for a very long time. That's really hard work. And then at the end, you finally get some thread. Cool. <laughs> yes. We haven't even gotten to uh, fabric yes. yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And like, and this is the other thing about this that I think was interesting that you, you linked me these videos, right? Is like, because this is a part of the thing that like McGay doesn't really talk about in this section, right? Because she talks about this whole process of getting it to the point where it is, where it is, you know, dry again. And then this, the, these videos sort of, for me, fill in the rest of the gaps, right? Because then it's even, even this 300 hours of labor, right? is maybe not including beating the shit and and it's specific processes that different kinds of, uh, things, (laughs) uh, brain stopped for a second there. That's okay. Um, different processes that like things like flax and hemp, like, you know, just watching these videos, they see they're similar, but they're not the same. Like it's correct. It it doesn't look like you could just use the same tools like across like different, things and 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 like uh, this is this is where to be frank i'm so like uh my expertise at this point such as it is absolutely comes post spinning right so like i've started learning about dyeing i've started learning and, and like i know now about how to like weave and i know how to weave in a few different ways and in a few different methods right and but it like the thing I I know is that you're correct. Like, and you, maybe you could use the same tools, right? But like, there's a reason why some of them are specialized. So you're also going to need to know like yes. how to sort of compensate, right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's like, that really stuck out to me about both of these videos is just how physical they are. Like, yes, y- you are pounding the shit out of these fibers once they are dry because you're taking these things and you're basically trying to allow them to stick to each other, right? So you're trying to like make the edges a little fuzzy so they can kind of stick to each other, but they'll still be in these long strands so you can get this nice good yarn when you spin. But it's just fucking hard work. Like it's hard work. It's gross work. We haven't even talked about how like way back in the day, like one of the more common ways of setting ver- various dyes was just it was urine was a big part of it. You would collect a lot of urine, and like all of a sudden, it, there's just like a billion things that come out of that. Like, oh, okay, so we're, mm-hmm. so we have to be storing it. So where do we store uh-huh. the urine, right? And where do, then where do the pee go? Where the pee go? Yeah, where pee go, right? And then like if you think about uh, so like indigo is right very famous as a as a dyeing um material it's very famous color making a traditional indigo vat is is again pretty gross like they can be pretty stinky because a lot of the things that are used these days you can use right like store store store-bought commercially made chemicals but like back in the day you were just looking for various sources of acid and various sources of etc like the things you needed for the chemical composition and so yeah, like things stunk. They smelled bad. There were large vats of them, especially when like 
dying things became famous or became famous, became fancy, right? And a thing for like <laughs> yeah. kings and queens, right? Like, mm-hmm. so like big, huge vats of just absolutely foul smelling liquid. And the stuff that you're putting in that foul smelling liquid, by the way, you've been spending hours and hours manually pounding and <laughs> scraping and spin it. Like, after you spend weeks letting it rot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and like, so like, on the one hand, I'm just nerding out because this is cool and fun. And I like thinking about this stuff, right? And like, this has been a consistent thing for me in every thing that I've made is like, I got into ceramics and I was like, this is cool. And then I was like, wait, okay. But wait, how do I choose what, uh, what clay to use and what goes into that? And then I was like, oh, and how do these glazes work? And I just, I am a person who wants to know the why and I want to know the how, right? And so I like to go mm-hmm. backwards in my process. So in part, this is just fun because it's like fun to talk about this stuff for me. But it's also just like, this is a single paragraph. And like, I don't think you have to be the sort of nerd I am to like, to think this is interesting and to immediately see like, yeah, when I look at a pair of linen pants, I, it really just has never th- occurred to me that like, this is hours and hours of labor. And especially because of the stuff I said earlier about making clothes, that still is just a lot of humans involved in like really hard work. And so taking that seriously, what does that do for your world? Like, right? Like answering yeah. those questions, trying to like figure out how they deal with these things. It's just a, it, it was again, just a very cool and clear example to me. So let's talk about some agriculture. Yeah. Agriculture. Um, I, we both really like this section. Um, it's called agricultural impact in the recent past. Past is in quotes. Uh, but yeah, it, the, the bulk of this, right, is a, is a pretty long, uh, quotation from somebody named Ken Burnside. Do you want to talk a little bit about this? Yeah. Um, the the long and short of it is like it's a it's a history of the movement to cities um, from Ken Burnside um, that sort of centers this uh, device called the McCormick Reaper. Um, I believe McCormick is just the the brand, uh, and then the Reaper is the you know some sort of tool by which uh, farms became significantly more uh, um, automated in around the 1850s, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, Prior to roughly the 1880s to 1890s. So, Mm -hmm. uh, oh yeah, prior to the McCormick Reaper in the 1850s. Yep. Yeah. And so the the sort of point of it is like how how technology impacted, you know, the... the, the, population uh, in in cities versus uh on farms how how automation pushed up a lot of people out of farm jobs and into cities how that was happened right before sewage was properly like uh yeah <laughs> done um and so like and and sort of and the the broader point is like sort of the cultural milieu that comes out of this like historical knowledge of cities, the the transition of 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 farmers to city folks based on the automation that this reaper allowed for, um, and then like how how that has like how that that cultural impact has has remained important, um, and I think the thing for me that this does well first it deals with uh, agriculture, which like we obviously if we're gonna talk about thread we have to talk about agriculture at some point, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but it, the, the other thing it does for me is like 
is just provides the perfect example of the thing we have said over and over here. Like, this is where it, like, like with the Otzi thing and, and how it, like, stung me in a certain way, the McCormick Reaper also, like, is the thing for me where I was like, oh, this is, this is the, uh, this is a great example of, if you're more of a history of agriculture person than a, than a thread person, yeah, you can. There is a there is a history of agri- there's a t- history of t- uh, agricultural technology, fucking masterclass you could put on and just pick some time in history that you're familiar with and be like, okay, so when this got automated, what what impacts did it have? Who did it push where? What like what cultural legacies have been handed down over the course of the next 150 years? Like, it's the it's doing the thing slightly different but within the same context of of this piece and it's just like yeah i it's just it was just an exciting moment of being like i yes god damn this is a good method like yeah <laughs> i've con- I, yes it confirmed <laughs> yeah 100 percent. That, that's how i felt about part three and post four uh, of like yeah uh for post one and post two i was really impressed and was like focused on the thread and it was really here in post three and post four that i started to be like oh this is a much this is a much broader sort yes. of thing here right like she is making a broader point and a really interesting point just to on the mccormick reaper and mccormick harvester the the thing that uh the other thing that you just didn't touch on which makes sense and is fine but like the other thing that really struck stuck out to me here is the time aspect right so uh specifically part of what she's we, she's saying is like there's these agricultural changes and the impact of these agricultural changes, but it's also just how quickly it happened is part of the point here, which is really cool because I don't tend to think about I that is not where my brain would would have gone is like how quickly this would have happened in my world. But I think that's also just like another really good and interesting question to ask is like, if you start answering these questions, like, okay, well, how long ago did that happen? Right? And again, the thing I love about all of these is like, at no point does McGay Baker ever go and you have to ask this question and this is the key right like there's none of this like weird like essentialist or like concrete like concretizing this into some sort of like rigid system of the best way to world build it's all just like i'm giving you tools to play with and i'm showing you how to play with them to generate good and interesting questions and the way that she's now doing it in post three around like technology generally and tools and then agriculture, right? And then the next section is about like travel and like transit and lakes and like how do we get things places. Mm-hmm. But the 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 thing about the McCormick Cooper that I, I wanted to bring up is is really just the it's it's the time thing, which I think is a really cool question to bring into world building of like once you get to an answer, think about, you know, how long ago did that happen? Was it recent? Mm-hmm. Is it been, have we lived like this for a while, etc.? Which is cool. Yeah, specifically, there's it, it, the. I think the thing the thing that you're bringing to mind for me is is in the Ken Burnside thing. He there's a sentence that just goes, "Modern cities rest on the McCormick Reaper, public sanitation, and antibiotics, which all happened in a 90 year span." Yeah, which is to say, a life a, a single human lifetime. Yeah, that's wild. Like, <laughs> still wild. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So then, I, I think the last section of, of pose three. I, I don't know that either of us have a, have too much to say, but I, again, really liked it. Um, it's it's what I just said, right? Which is rivers, roads, and railroads. And it's again, I think, just a really good object lesson of like, hey, th- these are like next logical questions. 
And I think, again, the thing that's so cool is I could see this exact method working if you just started from rivers, roads, and railroads, right? Uh If all you did was start with transit, how do people get around? How do people move goods? Taking those questions and answers seriously bring up a lot of like rich and interesting questions that you can answer to build out your world, which is cool. And it's also useful because it's like... It, it fundamentally begs a certain question, right? Which is like, yeah. you're going to be playing a game in which transit is important. Whether yeah. that's because the players are going to be traveling a lot, that doesn't necessarily have to be true. But the world is going to have had a need to develop methods of transportation. And so from from where do you go? Like, yeah. 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 Good and shit. then we go to then we go to post four, um, which yeah. wraps it up and is and is probably going to be much shorter in terms of conversation. the The first section here is called screensaver technologies, and um, I like this section. It's pretty short, right? But um, my read of this section is essentially McGay saying, like, okay. We've gone through a bunch of like really specific and kind of big, broad ideas, right? So technology, agriculture, babies, staying healthy, right? Like all of these things. And then she she presents this this language that I'm not familiar with um, of screensaver technologies. Uh, and the way she defines this is, these are things that are so vital to everyday life that they slip from our consciousness unless we have clear reasons to still pay attention. And to me, the reading here is, okay, your next step is to go what's left, right? What are the necessities that we haven't answered or that we haven't dealt with, right? And so she goes through like some of the necessities and she posits sort of like, what are some of the basic things humans do? But again, this felt like a really good capper of like, this method is also not complete, right? What she's not saying is, if you answer questions about thread, you're going to answer every question about your world, right? What she's saying is you're going to have a lot of rich answers that you can start to tie together holistically and naturally from asking the questions and thinking through the answers. Uh, But then at the end, you can kind of go, okay, are there other things we need to answer in this world, right? How do we Mm -hmm. deal with water generally? How do we deal with food? We've talked about clothing. How do we protect ourselves from the elements in terms of housing, right? And suddenly you have the method to start thinking about answering those questions and asking some of those questions. Yeah. And basically the rest of the post is her giving you sort of more fodder to like help you ask questions and answer questions, which are um, a reading list. There's a, a reading list of some books. Neither of us have read any of these books. I don't, I don't think, I, I think I was only familiar with even one of them before, um, which is uh, the, <laughs> the XKCD guy one. Um, sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's because my, um, my brother-in-law and my oldest nephew love those books a lot. And I like I like XKCD, but I was always like, okay, whatever. Uh, I, I will say, actually, I, I didn't say this when we were talking about this earlier, but I, I will say I actually really do like that book. It's a very clever and funny book. Um, <laughs> Uh, but the, the, the basic thing of the reading list, right, is she gives you these books and then she kind of says like, okay, here's some context, right? And where we obviously can't vouch for any of these, we haven't read any of them, but like, I really appreciated the context because she feel like does a pretty good job of kind of being like, here's the stuff to keep in mind when you read it, right? Like maybe you sort of, uh, this person focuses on this one thing, or this is a really like a exhaustive thing right so like if this is too much here's a, here's a sort of simpler version that you could read to give you some information um i just thought i, I just really like the way she gave context basically 
Um, yeah. I, I will say just like two quick quotes, right? Like um, on one of the books, one of the notes is this book is Eurocentric, but it's a solid start. Which is yeah. like, yeah. And then uh, again to her snark, there's another one that's just like, if your fantasy medieval village has an alchemist, but no midwife and then bold italicize, I am looking at you askance. Yeah, that's very good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Very endearing. Um, um, can yeah. I pull us back to one very quick? It's a very silly thing. Please, um, yeah. I, I had forgotten about this until I was just scrolling through again. Um, and this is like such a nitpicky bullshit thing. I, I promise I'm not this person actually. <laughs> um, in the last paragraph of screensaver technologies, um, uh, Maggie says, remember, remember that all life comes from the sun and there's a reason fire is sacred. That is not, it's not true. And I just learned that. And I think it's really interesting. Um, there are organisms, uh, there are animals and, and plants who live in hydrothermal vents in the deep ocean. That's true. Tar- who tardi- live on tardigrades, baby. Yeah, they uh, they they do chemosynthesis rather yeah. than photosynthesis. They literally do not interact with the sun in any way. Um, and I think this is the thing that like we like human beings didn't know until very recently. <laughs> so. Uh, not a. This is not like a dig or like a. How dare you not have done this research? But I just happened to read a book about deep sea creatures that is uh, called "How Far the Light Reaches" by Sabrina Imbler, um, and they wrote a really interesting book. And one of the things I learned from that was that there are there there are forms of life that have no relation to the sun whatsoever. Also, I think the video, the No No Buzz video for that, is going to come out like the same day as this episode. <laughs> That's fun. Is that right? <laughs> Uh, no, it'll be a week after. Okay. Didn't even think about that until just now. Anyway, just wanted to shout out, uh, that there are some weird animals on this planet. <laughs> yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I, and I think I am correct. I think tardigrades are one of the, one of the animals that do this. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, um, that's interesting. I, like, I knew that. I knew the, th- I knew the thing you're saying. Cause like, I just heard it at some point from a fellow <laughs> nerd. Right. But like. I read this and completely forgot about that. Uh, I do really like the way she ends that that paragraph, though, which is just, yeah. uh, remember that all life comes from the sun and there's a reason fire is sacred. We've pushed that so far into the background, we get annoyed when the internet is wonky at 1 a.m. Let's examine how we might imagine things differently when we have the chance. And like, yes. let's imagine, or let's examine how we might imagine things differently when we have the chance is just like, good. A- that's a good essence. <laughs> That's just, yes, let's yeah. absolutely please do that constantly. Yes. Thank you. A better world is possible. Um, yes. Cool. Well, then the, the very last part is, so like, let's say you get through all of these, right? You get through all of these posts and you're still kind of like, ah, I don't know, this sounds really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, she has done a, a handy thing and she's tried to give you a bunch of questions. Uh, so <laughs> section is called. Uh, the first section is called "Just the Questions, Please," which I like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's just a, it's just a bunch of prompts, right? It's a bunch of stuff to answer. So, what do people in your world spin? How is it gathered? How do they make cloth? Uh, how do people record stuff in your in your world? Uh, and then she moves on to clothing, right? So, are there rules about who gets to wear what? Talks about babies, and just goes through each of the sections of the posts, and basically says, "Here are some questions to ask to get at answers, right?" So, like staying healthy. Who has access to medical care? That's a very basic question, but also a question I could imagine a lot of people not thinking about when they're thinking about world building. Not not at all, yeah. 
Um, and I just really like these. I, I I've said this, uh, I think on the podcast before, but like, I just, I like prompts. I like, I am a person who is interested in working with thin constraint. And by that, I usually tend to mean I, I want some like guard bands of like what makes sense in a context. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and for me in particular, if I wanted to try and do world building and I started even with this thing I know a lot about, right, fiber, mm-hmm. I still would probably get pretty overwhelmed if I just sat uh, and just thought about it in the abstract, right? So yeah. I think these are really cool. I think these are really good. They're like some of them are more complicated than others, which I think is interesting because also at no point is this listed as you must answer all of these questions if you want to have a built world. It's more like, yes, yeah, pick and choose, right? Like- um, I just, I, I think it's a really strong and good way to end. Um, same, but that, that's it. That's, those are the four posts. That's 8.1. We did oh, it. Wait, we have more. Yeah. We oh did. shit. Yeah. You have a secret for me, don't you? I do. Oh, so, no. <laughs> um, so, uh, what are we doing in the next episode? BW, I ask myself. Um, so B, I would like you to click on the link. Actually, before you click on the link. Um, have not clicked. Do you think you know what we're reading next? I'm curious. Um, do you think I know what we're reading next? Uh, well, you had ideas when we talked about this last, about what, what the three were. So I was curious. I'm assuming... I'm operating under the assumption that 9.2 is going to be uh, Avery's uh, book that I know the title of and say a lot. The Quiet Um, Year. (laughs) The Quiet Year. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So what do you think 8.2 will be? Um... I had a I had a vague thought that it might be fiasco, but then you said earlier in this recording that we might read fiasco someday, so I don't think it's fiasco anymore. Interesting. Um, I also had the thought that you or you know I've consistently thought that you you'd probably bring up ten candles, but then I remember that like that's just because you bought me the book, um, and it's not necessarily a book that you think about as much as I do. <laughs> um, so. So click on the link. This is great. I love this. Click on the link and why don't you read out loud what you see? Okay. Yeah, I see a Google Doc that says, you will never guess. Mm-hmm. Should I scroll? Yeah, scroll down. What's the next page say? It's called a wild card. Look it up. And what's the next page say? JK, we're reading 10 candles. You are correct. Yep. I assumed you were just going to say 10 candles. Uh... <laughs> So we're gonna read ten candles. Um, oh, that's that's fun. Yeah, I thought Thank I you. thought you might think it was fun. So uh, yeah, so <laughs> to to remind our dear listeners, um, so in seven point two, I said uh, a couple things. One, um, we're gonna do this podcast seasonally, so we're going to uh, put out um, through nine point two, um, uh, and then we're gonna take a break and come back for season two. Um, but yeah, so for the the last three. 2.2 episodes i basically s- decided to do a little mini series which are the first three games i picked 
uh, that I made on a list way back when I first had the idea that I was like, these are the three that I would like start with. I think these would be good and would be fun. So the first one was Dogs in the Vineyard. The second one was Ten Candles. You've already guessed the third one. Um, uh, but yeah, so we're going to read I mean, it, it can't have been anything else. No, like, uh, just 100%. Based on us. We, yeah. we both love The Quiet Year more than basically anything. Um, yeah. But yeah, so so we are going to read uh, Ten Candles. So, Ten Candles is a it's a, a horror tabletop game. Yeah, tragic horror. I tragic horror. Yeah. Correct. Um, designed for like one shots, right? So it's meant to kind of be done one off. And you're basically you're playing as survivors in some sort of horror setting, essentially. The sky has gone dark, and there's something there's something out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like sort of the broad uh, setting elements, as I remember them. I haven't played this in like a couple of years at this point, so excited. Yeah, so that that uh, was the next thing I was going to say, which is, so I have not played Ten Candles. I have owned Ten Candles for a very long time. I was, I think, I might have even said on this podcast at some point that I'd played it, because I, I thought I had played it, but I was thinking back a lot over the last week, and I think what I did was prep for it, and I don't think I ever played it. Ah. Uh, yeah, that'll happen. Yep. Yeah, super, super well. But oh, it's by Stephen Dewey, by the way. I should say I didn't. I yes. haven't said the designer's yes. name yet. Uh, t- so Ten Candles <laughs> by Stephen Dewey. Um, but it's cool. So it's a it's a really interesting game. I've read through it a few times, but it's now been a billion years. There's there's a couple things that we'll I'm sure we'll talk about, right? But like, it, it is absolutely tragic. Meaning the idea is essentially nobody is going to survive, and that's built in. That's built in as part of the system, right? That is a that is a rule. That is yeah. a very explicit rule. Hundred percent. You, uh, your character is going to die. One of the first things you do in the game is record your character's last words. Correct. And then, uh, the, and so the so it's it's interesting. I think already right as a as a game and as a system um there's also this really cool sort of like real world physical element right you are it is called 10 candles because you are lighting 10 physical actual candles on a table um and they they are part of the sort of mechanics and mechanisms of the game um it is a game that you have played a few times and i have not played at all so it's another one of those um but Mm. Basically, like, it's just a game I've always found fascinating, similar to Dogs in the Vineyard, where, like, I read Ten Candles the first time and was like, this is so cool. And this is, like, blowing my mind in terms of what you can do with tabletop RPGs. Yep. And also, I don't think I ever want to play this game (laughs) in my life. It For very different reasons for both of them, right? But, like, Mm -hmm. I really, like... I love 10 Candles. I think it's so cool. And I'm super excited to reread it. And I think I will probably come out at the end feeling similarly of like, this is absolutely not an actual experience I think I want to have. Um, yeah. Uh, but you, yeah, so you've you've played it a few times. And so I figure we can talk a little bit about that. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about 10 Candles. That's that's 8.2, baby. This is, I already have like four talking points ready in my head that I want to like, I'm, I mean, like that are ready for for me to go, okay, when I reread through the book this time, I've because of the plays I've the games the games I've had with it, um, I have some memories of like moments that di- like stuck out weird or didn't quite work, and I'm very excited to reread the book and be like, is that because of the book being written in a certain way such that like we just didn't notice there was like a, a thing that addressed this, or is it because um, the you know. Why? Just why is the the thing I'm trying to say. I, there's going to be some whys in my head, and I'm very, very curious to see if those get answered, or in, either in the book or in the conversation with you. Because um, as today has proved, sometimes you start saying something and I go, oh my god. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a, in some ways. materialism, shit. Yeah. In some ways, that's like, that's why I like doing this is because that I, I feel like we've both had multiple of these of these moments <laughs> where like midway through the podcast or at some point in the podcast, one of us is like, oh, this finally makes sense now. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, cool. cool. Okay. I'm well, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, be Gabriel on Twitter. <laughs> cool. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Bakery slash workshop is the account. Uh, or if you want to follow me on in my personal Instagram, it's summer again. And so I'm walking to my community garden plot and my Instagram stories are just flowers I see on my walk. That's noted hermit. Very proud of my Hell flower yeah. posting. Flower posting is important. It is. I've been I've been reading a lot of Proust, which I re- read, I left in the notes, but uh, didn't come up. Uh, that man was a flower poster, hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, absolutely, yeah, hundred uh-huh. <laughs> percent. Cool. Well, thanks everybody for listening to a podcast. Yeah. Bye. Mm-hmm.